Yeah, Jesus, we, we don't have any other reason to sing other than you. Um, you are our all in all. Um, everything is from you, to you, through, for you. Um, Lord, I thank you that, for that, that song this morning. Lord, I thank you for the reminder that uh, what you want this morning is our heart. And Father, I pray that we would not um, withhold from you this morning. Lord, I pray that if there's any, whether there's areas of our life, Lord, or areas of our heart that we think we can hide, um, pray this morning that your Holy Spirit would just draw us to yourself again. I pray that you would humble us again. Help us to trust you again. Um, and God, we just we just thank you that we get to worship you, that we were that we were made for this. You're good all the time, Lord. And I just pray that today that you would greatly strengthen our hearts through your word. Thank you that you always keep your promises. Even when we don't, you are so not like us, God. You are not a man that you should lie or the son of man that you should change your mind, your word says. Thank you that you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. We love you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You guys can have a seat. Good morning. Um, please grab your Bibles and go to uh, Genesis chapter 7. It's where we were in the Bible reading plan this past week, Genesis chapter 7. Um, a little bit different this morning. I'm just going to read one verse from this chapter, um, we will be looking at some other things in the chapter, in the, kind of the chapter previous. Again, as you're reading these, these narratives, um, it's hard to just stay hard and fast, just kind of in, in one chapter, but uh, I trust that the Lord has used his word this past week in your lives as he has in mine, um, just, to, just to sit in it and, and to drive us deeper into the reality of who he is. But you got your Bibles, Genesis chapter 7, and then I just want to read verse 11. Verse 11. And uh, I'll read it twice since it's only one verse so that we get it. But I, I love this verse. I love this verse. It says, In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, on that day, all the fountains of the great deep burst forth, and the windows of the heavens were opened. Let me read it again. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of that month, on that day, all the fountains of the great deep burst forth, and the windows of the heavens were opened. Now, what I love about that verse is the emphasis on the specificity with which God did exactly what he said he was going to do. So this isn't like a verse that you'd necessarily see on a t-shirt or a coffee mug or a bumper sticker or maybe on a nice Thomas Kincaid painting that you hang on your wall. But I love what this verse tells us is that God had said 
back in chapter 6, that because of the sinfulness of man, he was going to bring a flood. And he told, he told Noah back in chapter 6, verses 17 and 18, that he was going to destroy all of the life on the earth, except for Noah and his family and those that would come into the ark and the animals that came into the ark with him. And then, on a very specific day, to be exact, the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of that month, boom. What God said he was going to do, he did. Amen? That's all I really want to tell you this morning. Is that God will do exactly what he says he's going to do. That's all I want to tell you. But I do think there are some implications of this reality, but that's the one big truth that I want us to get because I think that many of us come in here this morning and we live our lives this way is that we talk about God's word and we talk about his promises and, 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 you, know, and, and you know, you grow up in, in like Sunday school and, and church and vacation Bible school, maybe you even, you even memorize these things, but, but you know what, they just seem, they seem immaterial to us sometimes, right? They just seem like words, they seem like nice little phrases, they seem like, like poetry that just kind of warm our hearts. And, and they, do, they can do that. And they, they, they can encourage our hearts. And we are to gain hope from them. But I think we forget sometimes that very specifically, what God says he's going to do, he's able to do and he will do. And we live our lives sometimes as if the promises of God are just always this, this immaterial thing that's just kind of out there somewhere. But it's never actually going to come to pass. It's never actually going to manifest, if I can use that word, or come to fruition. But that is not true, men and women. It is not true. There, there's going to be a day ultimately where God's word comes to pass. God has appointed a day when the world will be judged. As you look at the flood, again, and we've talked in the Old Testament, we've seen some already, so we've been going through Genesis and we'll see more of it throughout this year, but you have, what you have what's called typology, is that you have these, these types or these, these, uh, these events or sometimes people's lives, the actions that they do, that are types or shadows of the ultimate fulfillment. And the flood, along with the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah in the Old Testament, are the, the two primary types in the Old Testament that uh, are picked up on in the New Testament by the inspired writers, as well as Jesus himself in the Gospels, that speaks specifically to, uh, or, or, or are a type of the final judgment that is to come. Um, Luke chapter 17, Jesus says, just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. What are folks going to be doing up until on the day that Jesus comes back and judges all things? They're going to be doing what we always do. They're going to be eating and drinking Marrying, marrying and being given in marriage, buying, selling, worried about money, worried about reputation, all that stuff. But there's going to be a day 
Just like it was in Noah's day, in the 600th year, on the second month, on the 17th day of that month, specifically when he's going to come back. We don't know when that day is, but it is going to come to pass. Peter says, uh, in his letter, 2 Peter chapter 3, he says, this is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved, in both of them I am stirring you up. By stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandments of the Lord and Savior through your apostles, knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? In other words, we heard about these promises. These are really nice. We like that you put them on your coffee mugs and on your t-shirts and on your bumper stickers and on your little paintings that you hang on your wall. But where are they? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. But they deliberately overlooked this fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God and that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged or destroyed with water. Again, referring to the flood. But in the same way, the word... But by the same word, the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly, is that God's word, in a typological kind of universal sense, it is going to come to pass in our lives. And I, what I, what I want us to get from this one simple truth this morning is I, I want you just to examine your heart, and I want to help you and exhort you to please examine your heart and, and primarily ask the question, like, are are the promises of God, and not just the promises, but again, his word here, if I can just quickly, it's like what God promised to Noah was both like a warning, a commandment, and a promise all mixed together, right? So he's warning him that this judgment is coming. He commands him to build an ark, but he also promises him salvation if he trusts this word that he says he's going to accomplish and is obedient in light of it and builds the ark. Uh, and, and that idea of God's word, the, the, the warning, the command, and the promises, uh, what I just want to ask you this morning is, is that at the center of your life? Is that at the center of your life? Now, they were living a lot longer back then, obviously. If you've you know, been reading Genesis at all, that's one of the major observations that you'll see. I mean, Noah was, was 500 years old before he, he ever even has kids. And so it was probably sometime after he had these kids that God gives him the promise. We don't, we don't know for sure when it was. But like whatever was happening in Noah's life for those first 500 years, he was probably a farmer like his dad was, it seems to imply, back at the end of chapter 5. But whatever Noah was doing for those first 500 years after this word came to him, he was no longer concerned with that. He was concerned now with the promise of God's word, with the warning, the commandment the word that God had given him, he was now concerned with that, and that was moved to the center. You follow me? And, and I'm just, I'm, I'm worried. Not, not just for you, but like for me, for, for all of us, that the word of God lives too much in our lives just on the periphery, if at all. If you think about your life as, <coughs> as a house, the, the unbeliever doesn't care anything about the promises of God, and the promises are not even in his house. They're not even in his property. But what I think, 
where a lot of us live as Christians, as believers, is we have the promises of God, but we bring it into our house and we just kind of store them in the basement. And, there, and again, maybe you have like a, or a storage unit or maybe a barn or your garage or just, you know, work with the metaphor here, okay? But I know like in the basement is just where a lot of stuff that, you know, we have, we don't want to get rid of it, but we're not really, you know, using it right now, so we put it in the basement. And it's like, that's what we do with the promises of God. We, we get them, and we don't want to get rid of them. Like, we know that we need them, but we're just going to put them down here, and, you know, I think it'll be okay. And if I ever need them, I know that I can go down and get them. But I don't really want to display them prominently in our home at all. But to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, and if you, you know, it, to look at Noah's life, and to try to follow this at all, as we're commanded to do, follow his life along with many others in Hebrews chapter 11, these heroes of the faith. They took the word of God, the promises, the commandments, the warnings, and they put them right at the center. They're to be prominently displayed in the center of our homes, in the center of our life, not just buried in the basement, where we know we can go down and when when drama hits or when difficulty hits, when a storm hits, we go down and we, we brush them off and we blow them off. We try to remind ourselves of them. Folks, that's not going to get it done. It's just not going to get it done. The Word of God is to be central in everything. And really, honestly, before I just get into more you know, kind of specific promises that God gives us, like just this one truth, like, how much did you think this past week? How central was this thought to your life that there is going to be a day when Jesus comes back? How central was that to your heart and life this week? That one promise throughout history, throughout the history of the church, that one word that is both warning, command, and promise that Jesus is, is coming back. Or at the very least, that there's going to be a day, and it could be today, where we breathe our last breath. That is to be at the center of our lives. To be at the center of our lives. And I would argue that, by and large, most Christians are, are not living with these promises at the center uh, but on the periphery somewhere. Again, uh, kind, of, kind of buried in the basement. And this one act of God that he does here in the text, I want you to notice too that it's when God manifests this promise, as he said he was going to do, um, the same, this, this one event brings both deliverance and destruction simultaneously. And the differentiator as to whether you experienced it as destruction or deliverance was whether or not you had put the Word of God at the center of your life. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of that month, on that day, the fountains of the great deep burst forth and the windows of the heavens were open. Verse 13 on that very same day, Noah and his sons, Shem and Ham and Japheth, and Noah's wife and the three wives of his sons with him entered the ark. 
Then down in verse 16, and the Lord, and the Lord shut them in. Our response to the promises of God before the promises of God are manifested, before God does, actually does what he says he's going to do, our response to that is what determines whether or not we're going to experience his power as either destruction or deliverance. But on that day, the 600th year of the second month, on the 17th day, when that day comes, you wait till that day it is too late it's about how you respond now I don't know if you guys saw the uh, the weird Hollywood Russell Crowe version of Noah's Ark anybody see that so degenerate I couldn't believe it no Russell Crowe is Noah he builds an ark and like and then Lamech, who we read about earlier, Lamech is like, was this kind of bad dude, shady character in the story. And he, like, as the rain's coming down, he, like, hacks a hole in the side of the ark and then, like, stows away on board. Don't watch the movie. It's ridiculous anyway. But nobody's going to, like, hack a hole in the side of the ark. Like, last minute, the rains are coming, and I get it. Like, that's not, that's not part of the story. It's not, it's not how it works. How you respond now, how you respond, th- th- guys... Without faith, it is impossible to please him. You you must move the warnings, promises, and commands of God to the center of your life today. 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 Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to heed the commands of God in your life. And every day that we don't, and every day that he does not manifest his promise, is mercy to us. But do not trifle with God's, with God's mercy. Um, his word is so precious that it always demands, it demands a response uh, in our lives. And again, whether we experience his power as destruction or deliverance uh, all has to do with how we respond to it. You know, one of the things we know about Noah is that he walked with God. So chapter 6, verse 9, these are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. And so the, but then the question becomes, well, what does that mean that he walked with God? Well, we don't know for sure, but we do have a couple, a couple indicators one is that I would argue that we're told over and over and over again um, in the scripture. So uh, verse 22, it says, Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. Chapter 7, verse 5, Noah did all that the Lord had commanded him. Chapter 7, verse 16, and those that entered, male and female of all flesh, went in as God had commanded him. Noah brought these commands and promises and warnings of God, put him at the center, and he did his best to obey them. Obedience was not an option. Obedience was not an optional add-on. You know, we, we, our Christianity many times is like, you know, pur- purchasing a car or some sort of thing. We're like, well, do we want this feature? Do we want the heated seats, the air-conditioned seats? Or no, I'll take this and, and, I'll, and I'll leave that. Like, that's how we come to Everything. 
response to God's word, and that's not the way it works. Obedience, trust, the centrality of God's word um, has, to be, has to be central. Noah walked with God. He put these promises uh, at the center. But just also, like, what does it mean to walk with God? Well, if you just think about the language, that this was like walking, not running, not sprinting, not leaping, not skipping, not jumping, not flying. Walking. Step by step by step in a relationship with God. We want to, we want our relationship with God to be defined as like leaping and bounding. Big jumps. But it's just, that's just not the way it works. We want to come every Sunday and we want to take a big leap. That was really big for me, by the way. It's a big leap. I think I could go farther, but I didn't want to pull anything. Um, but we, we, we want to come on Sundays and we want to take a big leap. And then nothing during the week. Then we'll just stay there. And then next Sunday comes, and we'll take another big leap. And then Monday through Saturday, just we're going to live our own life. Then Sunday comes again, we want to take a big leap. That's not the way it works. It's just not the way it works. It doesn't matter how badly we want it to work that way. It's just not the way it works. We have to, we have to walk with him. We have to walk with him. Day by day, hour by hour, and not even that, but moment by moment having the promises, the commands, the warnings of God at the center of our life. So God is going to do specifically, in the universal typological sense, exactly what he says he's going to do, as he did in Noah's day and as he will do uh, at the consummation of all things in the end. Folks, it is going to happen. It is going to happen. That promise has always been there and it's always been central for the church. But I want to talk about something else this morning regarding the promises of God and how God will always keep his word. Is that there's a, there's a lens or an angle through which we can look at Noah's life and talk about it in this universal kind of typological sense that the flood is a type of the final judgment that we're going to see. Um, and so there's a lot of parallels there for us. But I also want to talk about it in a personal sense. Not just a typological sense, but a, but a personal sense. And I don't know how else to say this. I think you guys will maybe be familiar with this language. Again, sometimes our language is troublesome, but it, or it's not really, it's not wrong, but it's just not fully accurate. But how many of you would say before that you, you would say that, like, as you've walked with the Lord, that you felt like God has given you a promise before? Anybody? You felt like God has given you a promise. Yeah. I want to talk a little bit about this because I think this is, I think this is very real. Um, I think that God's word is living and active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword, meaning, and by the living and active part, it's, yes, it was written to a specific people in a specific time and place back then, but, and it was written to them, but it was still written for us. Does that make sense? And so, you know, I've had times in my life where the Word of God has been very living and active to me. I, I've shared this story before, but you know, um, 
about a month after I graduated from high school, uh, I was planning on going to college in the fall. wasn't really following the Lord that much, but then God got a hold of my heart. Um, long story short, after that, I had just no peace about going to college in the fall. Uh, we were, classes were getting ready to start in about three weeks. I was over at a friend's house. He told me he was going to go travel on this ministry team and that I should come along. Um, I went home that night and told my mom, you know, I'm not going not gonna to go to college, going to go travel with these other hoodlums in an old 1980s wood grain minivan and, you know, uh, anyway, yeah, so that's what I told her anyway. So we, uh, but I, I, I was so, like, it was the first time where I just really felt God, like, give me a promise or give me a word. And I prayed that night as I went to bed. I was like, God, I, I think I'm supposed to do this, but, like, you know, I just need you to confirm it. Woke up that morning, was doing my little Oswald Chambers, my utmost for his highest devotional. Somebody had given it to me for a graduation present a couple months earlier. And I woke up, and on the, the verse for that day, um, was uh, Isaiah chapter 6. And the Lord says to Isaiah, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And Isaiah says, here I am, Lord, send me. Now, that verse was written to a very specific place in time to Isaiah. That was God's word to Isaiah, okay? But that verse that morning was also for me. Does this make sense? And that became living and active to me. And it literally changed the trajectory of my life. Um, I, not to be overly dramatic about it, but I wouldn't be here today pastoring Mercy Hill Church if it wouldn't have been for that word that God gave me. And I take absolutely no credit for it because it was totally God's mercy and his grace and the Holy Spirit. Um, There's zero boasting in any of this, but by God's grace, let me say though, that that promise, that word that God gave me, it was so precious and it got moved to the center of my life. That, that word became central. Now whatever else my plans were, this, this promise, this word, this command was for me. And I, and I want to talk a little, bit, a little bit about this because I think this is very real to the Christian life. I think it's, 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 it's essential to the Christian life. Is that we, we live in the word of God and we obey the general re- the revelation that is here on the pages of Scripture. But as we do that, at times, God's Word becomes living by the Spirit of God to us in that moment. And again, I, I'm not maybe saying this the best because it's not like it's not living when we don't have those types of experiences. But the point being is that there are times when the Word of God will become timely and precious and living and active to you in specific places in your life. And I just, I want to talk about this a little bit because, guys, I want us to obey those things. You understand that this is how the mission of God throughout history has gone forward. The mission of God throughout history has not gone forward by men inventing ways in their own wisdom to accomplish things that only God can accomplish, right? Ephesians 2.10, he has prepared good works in advance that we should walk in them. The ark wasn't Noah's idea. Whose idea was the ark? It was God's idea. Noah's responsibility was to obey what was God's idea. And I want to say this to you, is God, as you, as you dwell in the word of God, and really this is my hope, 
for all of us, and even doing this Bible reading plan last year and this year and you know, hopefully in the years to come, is that as you guys just get into the Word, that the Word of God is going to become living and active to you in a way where um, you know from the pages of Scripture that the Spirit of God is taking a verse or a passage or a chapter or an example or whatever, and He's putting it in, and He's speaking it in your life. When that happens, I just want to encourage you, guys, that word has to become central. It can't stay in the basement. You have to obey it. So Noah, in walking with God, now it says that he was a righteous man in the midst of his generation. I take that to mean that the general revelation that he had of God and creation or whatever had been passed down orally from you know Adam and maybe Abel and whatever other righteous men, you know, lived throughout, you know, history up to this point, even though it was a dark time. He was living in light of that as best he knew how. And we take the Word of God and we look at its commands and we look at what's there just simply on the pages of Scripture and we need to do our best to be blameless in the midst of our generation and to live as best we know how in light of these Scriptures. And that's what it looks like to walk with God. But as we walk with Him and His Word becomes specific to us, there's something that he wants us to do. I, guys, we've got to obey it. We've got to obey it. And this is such a great privilege. Because God loves us enough to give us his word. And it's supernatural. And he wants to speak to us through it. And again, hear me, I'm not, I don't want to place a burden on you this morning. You can't make this happen. This is the sovereign grace of God. You cannot make yourself find a word in here this morning that's specific to you or for you. But God can. And I do believe that it is the right and the privilege, the great privilege, of every Christian Everybody that knows Jesus Christ as Savior to have God speak to them in this way from his word. And we need to, and we need to obey it. Noah was not called to march around Jericho seven times until it fell. He was not called to go fight Goliath. He was not called to pick up and leave his homeland and go to a land that God would show him. He was not called to shut the mouths of lions. He was not called to build a temple. He was called to build an ark. Right? It was specific to him. I'm telling you that as you get into the word of God and you honor it by seeking to live in light of the revelation that you've been given, God will speak to you. He wants to speak to us. And he wants us to obey. He he wants to lead us and guide us in what he wants to accomplish through our lives for his glory, for the sake, for the advancement of his mission, for his honor and glory. You with me? Um, I, I want to give a little word here too just about kind of the just some caution on some of this is because there are uh, you know a couple weeks ago when we were over in the Encore um, you know I'd mentioned something just about the amount of false teaching that's out there today and it's, and it's always been there's always been a lot of false teaching in the world um, there was, has been in every age but there's a way to take what I'm talking about and to twist it, 
there's again, the devil always counterfeits all the authentic work of God. There's always a counterfeit that the devil puts out there. And there's a way to take what I'm talking about and again, try to, try to claim the scriptures in a way that's not helpful. Or, or I've also seen Christians sometimes claim promises uh, in a way that wasn't really helpful and ended up being hurtful. So for example, some of the big ones, you see this, I've seen this in a lot of different ways, but I've seen people claim the promises um, about God healing uh, in a way that's been hurtful. I believe with all my heart that God can supernaturally heal people. 110%. It's not, it's not difficult. If he says it, it'll, it'll be done. He can absolutely do that. I think it's not just, not just, is it not wrong, but it's right for us to pray for people to be healed that we love and that we know. But when the Bible has a promise about healing, in the end, that will come true if that's the will of the Lord. And if it's his will to fulfill that promise in that moment, okay, and in that, and in that specific situation. And so there's just one example of a way that sometimes we can claim promises um, that, uh, that isn't helpful. I've seen people, you know, claim promises in other things too at times in a way that's not... Uh, that's not always that helpful, but here's where they always get hung up, is that they, they get hung up on the specifics of thinking that they know how God is going to do what God says he's going to do. Okay, so let me, let me say it this way, is that just like as I've been talking about here, like in chapter 7, verse 11, with the specificity of this day when the promise, the word of the Lord became manifest, that in the 600th year, on the second month, on the 17th day of that month, very specific, Uh, let me say it like this, God will answer specifically, but we should be careful in thinking that we know the specifics of what his specific answer will look like. Does that make sense? Let me say it again. God is going to answer specifically, but we should be careful in thinking that we know the specifics of what his specific answer will look like. Um, God holds a certain a certain glory for himself in doing things in ways that we've never seen before and in bringing it in a way that we don't think it could ever happen. I mean, when God leads the nation of Israel out of, out of Egypt, um, the Red Sea, that hadn't been done before, right? <laughs> like that was, a, that was a new one, you know? Um, I mean, when God works in our life, uh, we, we have to be careful in assuming that we know what God's going to do. You know, I, I, I uh, am strangely, I shouldn't say strangely. I don't know why that came out. Well, maybe strangely. I'm, I'm somewhat strangely encouraged by the last year with all the drama that's gone on because I've encountered a lot of people that I've found out that have truly been, not just started, but have truly been praying for revival in America. I've just listened to a lot of guys that I've found just a lot of groups that people, there have been people praying for God to do something special in our day. But I'll show you one of the mistakes that we've made in regards to the specifics is, and I don't think I'm going to have to like do a lot of work here because I'm sure you've heard the same thing, but I've heard so many people praying for revival in America and by golly, they were just absolutely sure that Donald J. Trump was going to be the one to bring it.
And again, I've heard so many, uh, you know, prophecies or whatever. He, don't worry, he's going to, I probably, he's going to be in there a second term. He's going to get eight years. He's going to, you held that specific way, 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 way too closely. You don't know what God's going to do. But, should we be seeking him for an outpouring of his spirit? Yes. Should we believe him for that? Yes. Do we have reason to believe him for that? Yes. But the outpouring of his spirit may come when things get really, really, really difficult. And in fact, biblically and historically, that's the way it's always been. You can't always have your cake and eat it too. In other words, we can't always continue to live in this, you know, uh, in the unbelievable prosperity that we've lived in as a people for several hundred years. We're the most prosperous group of people that has ever existed throughout the history of the world. And if we think it hasn't affected our souls, we're wrong. It absolutely has. We love our stuff, to put it bluntly. We love it. And we can't love that and love God at the same time. So I don't, and again, I don't know what God's going to do. Hear me. I don't know what God's going to do. But I'm saying this is, the, the, I'm just trying to give examples of places where this is all over, where we, we're trying to believe God for something. We're trying to claim the promises. But we get hung up because we think we know the specifics of how he's going to do that. I just want to remind us this morning that, that we don't. Another implication of the promises of God and God, that he will fulfill them specifically, is that this is going to require waiting. Okay? Um, if I just, very quickly, uh, because I know some of you, as you've been reading Genesis, you've been nerding out on this. Dorothy, can I get that chart up there? Uh, Bible trivia. How many years did it take God to build, or sorry, how many years did it take Noah to build the ark? What do you think? 100? I've got a 100. Do I hear a 120? Anybody? Um, the, the biblical answer is we don't know for sure. Okay? Um, the Bible says at the end of you know, chapter uh, 5 that Noah was 500 years old um, when he had his kids. In chapter 6, verse 3, it says, God says, my spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His days shall be 120 years. Now, most commentators, interpreters take this, you know, a couple different ways. They think that this is 120 year, like this is the countdown to when the flood will come. There, there's some validity to that. You could take it that way. I tend to think, um, and this would be the other interpretation, is that after the flood, you don't see man really living past 120 years. And I think this is, again, part of the judgment that God brings, is not only is he going to wipe everybody out, but when he starts over again with Noah, they're not going to live longer than 120 years because of the depths of their debauchery and degeneracy that they're constantly living. The longer they live, the more they, uh, the more they just invent ways to do evil. And so, um, and so you've, got, you've got that. Uh, now you also, and again, this is a chart from Answers in Genesis. Answers in Genesis has a lot of good stuff. At the, in, if, if you look just to give some sort of, uh, you know, uh, uh, deduction as to how we get there. In chapter 11 of Genesis, verse 10, it says, These are the generations of Shem. It was one of Noah's sons. When Shem was 100 years old, he fathered uh, uh, Arpachshad two years after the flood. So that's a key verse. So Shem was 100 years old 
uh, two years after the flood, and then he had his first kid, which means he couldn't have been older than 98 when, uh, uh, when the flood came, but most likely he was much older than that because he had a wife by this time. So anyway, all that to say, we don't know for sure. Answers in Genesis, best answer is 55 to 75 years. Uh, uh, if, you know, if you take into account maybe how old uh, Noah's sons possibly were when they had, when they had wives. How many of you guys like to nerd out on this type of stuff? In the, yeah, don't, don't be ashamed. You, be proud of your nerddom. Anyway, take, you can take the chart down. But here's the point in all that. Whether it was 120 years, as some people think, or whether it was 100 years, as other people think, or whether it was 55 to 75 years, I don't really know. But it required some patience. It required some waiting. It required some faithful endurance on the part of Noah to live by faith, to walk with God step by step for at a bare minimum probably of 55 years at the very least until the promise and the warning and the command that God had given him was going to become manifest, was going to become true in his life. And folks, if we want to walk with God, we have to learn to endure. We have to learn to wait. And, and there's, there's two different types of waiting that I want to talk about. There, there's a worldly waiting, and there's, and there's a, a, a Christian waiting. There's a mature waiting. And the way to wait like the world is marked by levity. It's marked by just a, just a lightheartedness, that we're just going to be flippant. We're just going to wait, and we're going to eat, drink, and be merry, and you know, Whatever. That's not the way the Bible talks about waiting. When the Bible talks about waiting for the mature believer, for the disciple, for the Christian, our waiting is not to be marked by levity, but by looking, by an intensity, by a gazing. There's a way to wait when you're just waiting on your food, you know, at the restaurant. And you're just kind of, you know, drinking and sipping and whatever, and you're just kind of waiting for it to come. It's okay to wait with levity in that specific situation when you're waiting for your food. But if the Word of God is central to our life, if the promises are central, if His commands, His warnings are central in our life, then our, then our waiting should be marked not by levity, but by looking, by an intensity. You, you, how many of you have waited for a test result from the doctor? Or you've waited for a loved one who was in surgery and you were waiting to see how it went? Or a kid waiting on Christmas morning to be able to open the presents. Or there, there's a loved one that's been away for a while, maybe on the mission field or maybe just on vacation or whatever, and you're picking them up for the airport and you're standing there and you're waiting and you're looking. That type of waiting is marked by, by, by a looking, by a focus. And that's the type of waiting that we're to have. It, in Titus chapter 2, uh, a verse that we've, we've quoted often here, it says, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. And then it says, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, what's interesting about this, that's from the ESV, the NASB, the New American Standard, uh, where it says, waiting for our blessed hope, it actually translates it in the English, looking, looking for our blessed hope, because that's the idea behind, behind this type of waiting, it's not waiting with levity, it's waiting with looking. That there's an intensity to it. And I'm just asking you this morning, does that type of waiting mark your life? 
Or is it the type of waiting that is marked by levity where we're, you know, we're like you know, in the parable of the virgins. You had some that had their oil and they kept their lamps trimmed. You had others that didn't bring any oil and they're just like, oh, whatever. And they fell asleep and they missed it. They missed it when he came. And I want us to embrace the universal promises of God that he's going to always do what he says he's going to do. And I want us to also cling to them personally. Uh, you know, in, in a lot of ways, um, in everything that I've shared this morning, um, everything that I really have shared is kind of coming down to what, to what I want to share right now, too. And that is, as I was reading this verse this past week, or I reading this chapter this past week on Monday, I just got to say that, and again, this doesn't happen every week, but this week, verse 11, it's just like, it just kind of jumped off the page at me. And the other thing that I guess I just want to encourage us with in regards to the exhortation that I'm trying to give here this morning about moving the promises of God to the center of your life is that I really felt like the Lord just kind of spoke to me and as I was thinking about this and reading this passage, and that I just want to say this to encourage you, is that I think, that I know, I don't think I know, that there are some of you here that God has given you a promise. And, and maybe nobody else even knows about it. But it's something that he's, he's laid on your heart, and he's given you a promise. And you're clinging to it but you're getting tired of waiting. And it's difficult. And you feel like maybe letting go or maybe it's not gonna happen. And what I just wanna tell you this morning, again, I warned you at the beginning, I only really had one thing to tell you. <laughs> but what I wanna tell you again is, God always keeps his promises. He always, he always, he always keeps his promises. And I can't tell you all the times, not just in the typological sense or the universal sense, as we've talked about, but in the personal sense, how many times God has kept his promises to me. And not because of my faithfulness, but even most times, despite my lack of faithfulness. Times where I've given up, or times where I thought the things were over, uh, or times where I, I didn't cling to the promises of God in the way that I should, uh, and it led to despair and doubt and not praise constantly, constantly being on my lips. But I want to tell you that, guys, God is faithful He's faithful. And if you have something that you're believing God for this morning, all I really want to tell you is just don't stop. <laughs> don't stop. Keep trusting Him. He's faithful. He's not going to let you down. I've seen Him do this. I've seen Him do this in the lives of uh, of loved ones that I, I didn't think 
anything was ever going to happen. And again, it, he's never owed me and he's never owed you anything. But I've seen him do this. And, uh, you know, for us as a church, guys, if we're not clinging to and claiming, believing God to specifically bring his promises to bear and to fulfill them in our lives and in our church and in our community, you know what? We're just playing games. We really are. Right now, this morning, what are you believing God to do that only He can do? Maybe in your life, maybe in our community, maybe in the live life of a loved one. What are you believing Him for? Because if there's nothing, then what are we doing, (laughs) right? Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's alive. And as crazy as it sounds, as crazy as it sounds, he loves you just as much as he has loved any of his children throughout history. Went to a lecture this past Tuesday night. The local church had a professor from Southern Seminary giving a lecture about the Great Awakening, uh, centered around Jonathan Edwards and John Wesley and George Whitfield. Um, God used these men mightily. They were deeply, deeply, deeply flawed men. Jonathan, John, John Wesley, you know what they referred to his marriage as? They referred to his marriage as the 30 years war. He was a terrible husband. He really was. Like I, God bless him, but he was a bad husband. George Whitfield and Jonathan Edwards, they owned slaves. terrible and there's no excuse (laughs) for that or to be the type of husband that John uh, John Wesley was but but they also but they also had the word of God at the center of their life and they believed him to do what only he could do Please hear me. I am not for embracing a terrible marriage and being a terrible husband. Okay? Not saying that. I am definitely not for owning slaves. Terrible. But what I'm saying is that God has been faithful throughout history to do what only he can do. 
when we, in all of our brokenness and in all of our fallenness, put his word at the center of our lives. We bring it out of the basement. We put it in the center of our homes. And we believe him. And we trust him. Worship team, you can come up. I'm just going to close in prayer. Um, And as I do, uh, especially for those of you this morning that are here, and there's something in your life that you're specifically believing God to do, you feel like he's given you a promise, I want to pray specifically for you as we close, that God would do it. Lord, I thank you for today. I thank you for your word. I thank you for your faithfulness despite our faithlessness. There is no excuse, Lord, ever for our sin. We sin because we love it. And we go our own way because we think we're wiser and because we think we're smarter. Lord, throughout history, from the times of Noah to the back times of Jonathan Edwards and George Whitfield and the Great Awakening and all that, you have been the same. You've been faithful, you've been good, you've been loving, and you've always stood good on your promise to both judge and to deliver. And Lord, I just pray for us this morning as a church and as individuals that you would help us to move your word, to move your promises, your warnings, and your commands to the very center of our lives. And Lord, there's probably things at the center of our lives this morning that don't need to be at the center. Those are the things that need to be on the periphery. And Father, I pray this morning that you'd help us to swap those out by faith, Lord. We want to obey and we want to move those your promises to the center. And whatever needs to be rearranged, Lord, we we pray that it would be rearranged. Father, I also want to pray this morning for those that are here that even in this season. You have given them a promise. Your word has become living and active to them. And they're clinging to it this morning. Father, I pray that they would not give up. I pray that they would trust you. And I pray, Lord, that in your timing and for your glory, at just the right time, just the right time, in the 600th year, on the second day, in the 17th month, that you would bring it to pass. And I pray that they would think about that day and how thankful they are going to be that they kept walking with you and that they kept believing you and that they didn't give up. Thanks for being good, Lord. Thank you that we can know for certain that you will always do what you say you're going to do. Always. 
Give us faith to believe you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys stand with me, please.